Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to Enter the Novelcast. Cybersaurus, The Awakening, Chapter 3 Worker robots move through the facility's garage and bio-room, busying themselves with collecting the bits of broken doors, fixing cracked or bent walls and door frames, and repairing damaged electronic terminals. The Tyrannosaur had made quite the exit, and as soon as it was gone and the room was quiet, the bots powered up and began their predetermined work pattern. Dr. Harland Wolf, having somewhat recovered from his inebriation, checked on the facility's net and saw the bots moving in the sub-basement below. Puzzled by this activity, he decided to investigate, as the only other person in the facility today was Regina, and she shouldn't have been on that level for too long, or causing that much of a disturbance as to trigger the bots. He rose on shaking legs and found his way to the elevator. On his way, his Omninet display blinked with the words, Incoming Call, Investor Beta. He swallowed hard, contained his nervousness as best he could, and answered the call. The cold-voiced man answered, the same one he had demonstrated his work to the night before. Dr. Wolf, he said. Our reports are showing a disturbance in your facility. Oh, it's nothing, Harlan responded as the elevator made his descent. Just a... Slight equipment malfunction. What is the nature of the malfunction and the state of the equipment? It's, uh... One of the power converters backed up, sending an electrical discharge into the sub-shifter coils. Harlan held his breath, hoping his engineering babble would be enough for Beta, and he wouldn't ask any further questions. There was a slight pause as Beta processed the information. Your sub-shifter coils aren't equipped with proper electrical dampeners? He asked back. Damn it, Harlan thought. Uh, no, uh, not right now, he lied. The dampeners have been removed for routine cleaning. Another short silence followed, during which the elevator reached its destination and Harlan walked out into the garage. It was all he could muster to not gasp audibly at the sight of the destruction. See to it that those dampeners are replaced as soon as possible, Beta informed. Mr. Warren Baker will arrive at your facility within two hours to begin recovering our assets. We trust that you will have such items prepared and ready for removal. Harlan stepped over one of the cranes which had been knocked loose from the ceiling, now lying limp on the floor, exposed wires and smears of grease all around. Uh, yes, uh, of course. Another short silence. I'm sending you a list of your inventory which will be recovered. All items on this list, as well as anything produced by items on this list, are our property and must be made ready for movement within two hours. Of course, Harlan said again. And then an idea hit him. He quickly moved across the garage, dodged around one of the worker robots, and made for the bio-room. His heart was in his throat when he saw the condition of the door, and he slowly turned the corner, cautiously peering in on the room which kept his most prized possessions. Dr. Wolf, what is your condition? He didn't respond, for doing so would require picking his jaw up off the floor. The bio-room was mostly intact, except he noticed that stasis pod A001 for specimen TYREX014 was opened and empty, its shining white door swung wide to reveal a dark and lifeless interior. Eyes wide, Harland quickly looked around at the other pods and saw them to be untouched, including the one at the back of the room. This gave him a slight amount of relief but it didn't change the fact that specimen TYREX-014 was inexplicably missing, apparently having broken its way out of the facility and into New Washington. Dr. Wolf, what is your condition? Beta repeated, same as before. Harlan snapped back to the present, and to the call. Um, I'm fine. Just looking over the sub-shifters, 
Easy fix. Quick fix. No problem at all. Have the items on the list ready for transit within two hours. Two hours. Got it. We will be moving the biological specimens first, so ensure they are well prepared by the time of Warren Baker's arrival. Harlan swallowed again. Of course. Fix those subshifters, Dr. Wolf. They're on the list as well, Beta informed coldly, and then there was an audible click as the call was ended from the investor's end. As soon as the call was terminated, Harlan bolted into the empty stasis pod, mouth open in shock. He saw the wires, cables, and support tubing hanging from the pod's ceiling, once connected to his prime biological specimen, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. The completed, full adult Tyrannosaurus Rex. It had taken him nearly a decade and cost half of the capital that the investors had loaned him to acquire the resources and recreate this specimen. It was his greatest work, the culmination of over a dozen failed attempts, and while the other prehistoric beasts were coming along nicely and didn't contain some of the same impurities as the TYREX-014, they were nowhere near to being as complete. Additionally, the value of the Tyrannosaur was naturally much higher than the others. Sure, they were all creatures that hadn't walked the planet in over 65 million years, but none captured the awe and the fear of people as easily as the Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he had the only living specimen in all of history. He had the only living specimen. Now, something had caused it to break free from its pod and escape into New Washington. It was probably already dead, Harlan thought. And then the doctor realized something. As these thoughts raced through his mind, he looked around at the interior of the pod and at its doors. The condition was surprisingly pristine. It looked as if the pod itself sustained no visible damage. Quite contrary to the rest of this level of the facility. The dinosaur was a cudgel, a blunt instrument, a bull in a china shop as the saying went. It had pushed its way through the other doors and with great force. So why did it appear as if the pod were open normally, and not by the powerful head and neck muscles of the tyrannosaur? Harlan moved out of the pod and walked around to the terminal, and he got all of the information he needed to figure out the last few pieces of this puzzle. The empty data chip still in the spark connection, the screen still showing the message, Upload Complete. He didn't even need to access the Omninet and get the usage history for the terminal, though he did anyway. The last recorded use of this terminal was listed as Santos Regina M. Harlan pounded his fist on the terminal. How could she have known about this, he thought. With a heavy sigh, he accessed the Omninet and called Regina. It rang a few times before going to her voicemail. Hanging up, he started to think of what he needed to do in order to get his work back from his former assistant. The anxiety and fear he once had about the impending visit from the investors was gone now, having given way to a scheming, pensive determination. That was his Tyrannosaur, and as far as he could tell, that was his cognitive backup file. He had to get them back. It was a warm, sunny morning in New Washington, and the Pine Ridge Shopping Center was just beginning to receive its midday rush. People were stopping in on their lunch breaks at their respective jobs, or swinging through with family and friends. 
The Pine Ridge Shopping Center was known for its classic take on shopping. Customers actually had to drive to the mall and walk in and around the stores within. It wasn't as practical or as immediate, or even as well-priced as Omninet shopping, but there was a certain appeal to buying things as people used to in the 21st century, an implied nostalgia that brought in plenty of paying customers day after day. Stanley Mason hated the idea of shopping malls while he was alive. The Omninet provided so many other options and tools to make shopping easier and more cost-effective, yet... Despite his misgivings about the shopping mall, on this day, he was forced to visit it. The Tyrannosaurus Rex charged into the mall's parking lot, two police cruisers following close behind, sirens blaring in the mid-morning air. The dinosaur let out a short roar and walked down an aisle of parked cars, sending pedestrians and shoppers scurrying away from its path. It leaned down and snapped at one or two, but with little effort and with no results. The dinosaur, while likely hungry, was more focused on getting away from the annoyingly loud police that were chasing it. As the beast approached the entrance to the mall, two more squad cars joined the pursuit, one of which shot in from around the corner of the building, tires squealing as it slid into the parking lot and accelerated to move in front of the dinosaur. The cruiser slid to a screeching halt between the doors and the dinosaur, who stopped as well, unleashing a powerful roar at the strange metal beast that stood in its way. Behind the police cruiser came the new Washington animal control van, stopping about 20 yards back. An officer left one of the vehicles and ran over to the van, addressing the driver. I hope you've got something for this, the officer said, yelling above the sound of the T-Rex. They told me it was a big dog, the driver said back. I don't have anything this big. Well, get something. I don't know what... Look out! The driver dove into the passenger seat as the cop turned around, looking over his shoulder at where the dinosaur was standing, about 20 yards away. Without time to think, the cop was forced to throw himself to the asphalt as the large head of the Tyrannosaur came in low and swung upwards, striking the side of the van with the sound of breaking glass and bending metal. The driver let out a scream as the van tipped over and landed on its side, wheels slowly turning uselessly in the air. The cop turned over onto his back, looking up at the dinosaur, who had now turned to regard the sprawled police officer, a perfect, seemingly helpless piece of meat that should sate its hunger, at least for now. With a low growl, the dinosaur took a step forward as the cop scrambled back. Its immense jaws opened, sharp teeth ready to close in on the man, tear him in half, and devour him entirely in only two bites. Before its gaping maw got any closer, however, a small, sparking bolt shot into it, striking the tyrannosaur's tongue. The dinosaur reared back, electrical surges coursing through its jaw and throat and picking at the back of its eyes. It spit the bolt out and looked at its source, eyes twitching from electrical shock. Regina stood there with the police stunner in her hand, leveled at the Tyrannosaur threateningly. It was only after she shot it that she realized the futility of the attempt. Sure, she kept the cop from being eaten, but these stunners were calibrated to bring down a man, generally around 300 pounds maximum. All it managed to do to the six-ton carnivore was to make it take a step back, and then make it angry. Regina looked down at the cop, who was looking up at her, shocked. "'Get him!' she shouted, pointing to the driver of the overturned vehicle." She then looked back at the dinosaur just in time to see it lunge towards her. She sprinted away, turning and running around the overturned van and towards the mall entrance. It was suddenly becoming painstakingly clear that she hadn't thought this plan through very well. The Tyrannosaurus gave chase, following around the back of the van. She pushed through the mall's glass doors and into the vestibule, yelling at the few onlookers there to get out of the way. The dinosaur covered the distance to the door in a few strides and then bent low, smashing its face through the plate glass. Shards flew everywhere, and Regina was forced to throw herself to the ground.
The dinosaur's head, neck, and shoulders were inside the vestibule, bent low and scraping the floor, but its body was still outside, legs pushing itself ever inward, tail whipping back and forth. Its breath was hot, its jaws snapped, and its head thrashed. When Regina looked up from the floor, her initial fear started to melt away into concern. The dinosaur's jaw and neck, having been shoved through the doors, was being cut on bent metal frames and shards of glass as it writhed back and forth. She stood and stepped back, well out of the dinosaur's reach. Seeing the blood start to fall on the vestibule's floor, all she could think about was Stanley hurting himself on these doors. Regardless if it was him or not, she knew he was in that body. He had to be. And so, in the middle of all of this chaos, with the popping of the police stunners fired at the rear of the animal, the grunts of the straining dinosaur and the beating of Regina's heart, she did the first thing she thought of. She screamed. She screamed so loud and so suddenly and with so much emotion that the dinosaur paused. Its mouth closed and its eyes regarded her with a curiosity hadn't been seen before. Stanley! She shouted at it. In response to the name, the dinosaur attempted to stand up abruptly, but instead slammed its head into the vestibule ceiling, denting the metal plates above. She blinked. Was that a response? Was she right, after all? Stanley, is that you? She asked. There was a silence outside as the police reloaded their stunners, and in that moment the tyrannosaur didn't make a sound or move. It simply stared directly at her, unblinking. It had to be him. Of course he couldn't answer her. Dinosaurs couldn't speak, and even though he may be thinking about responding, the Tyrannosaurus lacked the proper vocal capabilities to form English words. But this had to be him. He had to be there. Now. Suddenly, the role of the police force changed immediately. They went from potential allies in controlling the beast, to aggressors from which she had to protect her husband. The situation apparently abating, the cops slowly approached, stunners held at the ready. Regina saw them coming, heard their shouts for her to back away, and then she looked at the dinosaur again. She couldn't be certain, but she felt she saw a pain in the tyrannosaur's face, a call for help though no words came. And so she did the only thing she could think of. She ran forward, pushing up and back on the dinosaur's neck. Once its flesh was free of the broken door, she pulled it open. Come on, she said. We have to get you to a safe place. Stanley waddled through the vestibule. And while he did, Regina grabbed a hold of the baggy flesh around his neck and climbed up to sit just behind his head, hanging on to the contours of his massive skull. The stunners fired again. Shoppers inside cried in shock and fear as they saw the dinosaur slowly rise again, staggering forward. Stanley, you have to run, she shouted, leaning down near his ear. The dinosaur blinked and shook its head slightly, as if shaking away a daze. Run! And just then the tyrannosaur had waved back and forth vigorously, and Regina was forced to hang on even tighter. Finally, it lifted its head and roared in anger and protest as another wave of stunners hit its tail and legs. In a mere moment, it charged forward with a lurch, and its sudden ease of movement and control over itself gave Regina the fear that Stanley wasn't in control any longer. The dinosaur barreled through the mall's interior recklessly knocking over vendor stands, breaking through Omninet consoles, and destroying signs. Customers dodged away, cowered behind store entrances and around pillars, and watched captivated at what they saw before them. The dinosaur ran in a straight line, down the main hallway of the mall, knocking over benches and plants as the police gave chase. Every so often it would turn and pass a low overhang or a portion of the wall, and it would lean into it, 
attempting to dislodge Regina from her position on its head. She was quick enough to stay away from the mall's structure, though, and the Tyrannosaur only succeeded in scraping its skin across the walls and ceiling. As it ran on, Regina was surprised when it actually lowered its head, snout to the ground, and then she realized that it was doing so because they were coming up on the rear doors of the mall, and it meant to break through, putting her in danger of impact with the glass doors. Seeing no other option, she buried her head down, raised her arms as best she could, and screamed. The dinosaur and Regina burst through the doors of the mall, shards of glass flying out into the sunlight and shattering on the ground. The dinosaur didn't slow and instead made its way through the parking lot. One car brushed up against the Tyrannosaur's leg, and so it turned to regard the vehicle as it sped away. The dinosaur roared at the car before giving chase. Regina looked and could only imagine the fear that the driver had as he sped forward out of the mall's parking lot and up to the ramp up to the nearby freeway, tearing through a red light and causing other cars to skid to a halt in the intersection. The dinosaur's head followed the car's movements, and then it roared again. Oh no, Regina thought. The Tyrannosaurus Rex lunged forward, charging through the intersection, chasing the vehicle up on the ramp and onto the New Washington South Freeway, busy with mid-morning traffic. Thank you for listening to Chapter 3 of Cybersaurus The Awakening. If you enjoyed this and want to listen to Season 1 of Enter the Novelcast, or check out any of my other creative exploits, then go to nicholascory.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com. Also, if you like audiobooks, feel free to visit audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of titles available to anybody who signs up, and if you go to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, not only will you get a free starter subscription, but you will also be showing your support for this podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next time. <laughs>